0: Few things are harder than the mission of raising your kids. At The Dad Project, we get experienced dads to reveal what's worked for them, offering practical, time-tested advice. Being a successful dad is tough, and we're here to help you get it done. Welcome to The Dad Project. Are the unique challenges of COVID-19 restrictions making you feel defeated and less than your best as a husband and dad? Well Team, we're bringing in a dad coach to help kick off your rebuilding period. Kumar Kibble is a leadership coach whose career has spanned U.S. Army special operations, federal law enforcement, and diplomatic assignments, as well as national security. He starts with his own life story and invites us each to reflect on our own. Then he takes us back to square one to help us think about the virtues we each need to build to be the husbands and fathers we were meant to be. Kumar and his wife have three children. Earlier this year, I launched a leadership coaching practice after many years of leading teams in varied organizations. As I thought about factors that contribute to high-performing teams that I want to emphasize in my business, I started to think about how they translate to high-performing families. There are timeless servant leadership principles that directly apply to our roles as fathers, as servant leaders within our families. Because in the end, leadership is about influence. Our ability to influence others directly relates to our character, particularly our integrity and sincerity, as well as our competence and our care for the person that we're seeking to influence. These components come together to form a trusted relationship that becomes the foundation for influence. So today, I'd like to focus on our higher purpose and building trust. And how these considerations specifically apply to our roles as fathers. My goal is to prompt some reflection on how we respond to our calling as servant leader fathers within our families. You know, 20 years ago, I was serving uh, with the military, the Special Operations Command Pacific, uh, at Camp Smith on Oahu uh, in Hawaii. I know, tough duty. But unfortunately, I I experienced unusual pain, and I went into Triple Army Hospital, and uh, the doctor diagnosed me as having what could potentially have been aggressive cancer, and they didn't have the time to wait for the results, Uh, and so they scheduled me for surgery the next morning. Four months later, uh, we learned that removing the tumors had not worked and that the cancer had spread to my lymph nodes, and so... Um, I commenced chemotherapy. And I have to say, cancer and chemotherapy were a blessing for me because it gave me time to reflect on my mortality and on my life's priorities. You know, I was raised as an only child uh, by a tiger mom from India, consumed, consumed by excellence in all things. And so she programmed my life. I mean, I took karate lessons, Indian dance lessons. Indian drum lessons, ballet, voice. I had to practice piano two hours a day. I was expected to get straight A's in school. I had to read a classical book each week and write a book report, independent of whatever I was doing in school. You know, it wasn't my mom's intention, but I became consumed by achievement and by being special based on what I did rather than, than who I am, if you, if you get the distinction. I mean, I was so consumed by being special. I mean, I, I, I jokingly say I even sought it out in my work, right, to actually have it named in the title. I worked with special operations. I became a special agent. It really, uh, really kind of took over uh, my life, just this, this drive, To achieve, 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 and to be number one, to be number one. But when chemo, you know, when I started going through chemotherapy and I started reflecting on my life and I started thinking about my mortality, and I had achieved some modest success up until that point, I realized it was all, these were all just perishable crowns, right? None of these were were lasting or particularly impactful. And so as I bargained with God for more time, you know, what was central in my request was to have more time so that I could be a father and so that I could leave a lasting legacy through my children by handing on the values to them that my parents had handed on to me. I was in search of a transcendent cause, a higher purpose. And so, you know, uh, a lot of prayer, reflection, and spiritual reading ultimately led me into the Catholic Church as I deepened in my faith. And later, uh, when we couldn't have biological children, to adopt a sibling set of three children that uh, endured periods of homelessness and hardship in the L.A. area. So higher purpose, the value, the value of my cancer was in becoming more serious and intentional about discerning my calling, and really kind of thinking through the vision for my life, because um, it's very easy to get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent and and lose sight of the bigger picture, right? So, I, what I'd like to do is is share with you an idea of how we how we do that, because. We need to kind of break free from this idea of, I mean, of just defining our lives in terms of just what we do at work. Now, let me let me share with you what I mean by that. I, you know, there's this story of three workers, and a guy you know walks up to one of them on a work site, and he's kind of kneeled over and uh, bent over, and and he asks him, "Hey, what are you doing?" And uh, the guy says, "Oh, I'm laying bricks." Okay, he nods and. He walks over to a second guy and he asks him, well, what are you doing? And yeah, I mean, he's he's laying bricks, but what he responds with is he says, I, well, I'm building a wall. And then he walks up to a third guy and as he's approaching him, he hears him whistling and just a happy disposition. He walks and he says, hey, what, what are you doing? And the guy looks up to the sky and he says, I'm building a cathedral. And and this is this is what I mean about breaking free and really kind of Latching on to our higher purpose, because it is so tempting to get up each day and just lay bricks. But in our roles as fathers and at work and as husbands, we have an opportunity to build a cathedral. And the magic is in connecting what the ordinary things we do into that larger vision. To raise our eyes and expand our vision and to build the cathedrals of our families. So how, how do we design that cathedral, right? How do we define that vision? And I humbly suggest by beginning with the end, by picturing our tombstones. What I'm going to ask you to do right now is to picture your tombstone. Picture your name etched in the granite. Picture your date of birth. Picture your date of death. And keep in mind, you don't control your dates of birth and you don't control your date of death. You have no idea when that will be. And now picture that dash that connects those two dates. And think about what that dash represents. You don't control your dates of birth. You don't control your date of death, but you do control that dash. And that dash represents your life story. Each day when we get up, we're writing one page in the story of our life. What do we want that story to represent? There's a poem called Life in the Dash. And I don't remember the earlier stanzas, but the last stanza goes something like this. And so when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of what people say about how you lived your dash? Cancer and chemotherapy, that, that was my dash moment, right? That caused me to think about, about what I wanted my life to represent. And so let's, let's think about that last stanza in that poem. And what I, what I recommend you do is maybe grab a bottle of wine, find a, a quiet space one weekend, a quiet place, and invest some hours in writing your eulogy. And if you really want to take this exercise seriously, write two versions. Version one, write that as if you're dying tomorrow. Write it as if you died tomorrow. Version two, write that as if you died at the age of 90. And in particular, when you're writing those versions, I want you to, particularly for in, in our role as fathers, I want you to think about how uh, you want your kids to remember you. I'll give you an example. That particular portion of my eulogy reads like this. Perhaps the best gift Kumar gave his children was in how he loved their mother. He consistently modeled how a husband should love, protect, and serve a wife, setting an example for his children to emulate in their own relationships. Throughout his life, Kumar kept nudging them to grow deeper in faith, while taking pride in their independence, strength, and perseverance through adversity. That's what I'd like my kids to take away, uh, in part in 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 terms of my relationship with them and in the example I set, and how I tried to model what to expect and to search and to and to create in their own spousal relationships, so write your eulogy, write version one where you die tomorrow, write version two, where you die at the age of ninety, and I want to conclude this by this this particular part of the talk by asking you some coaching questions because I'm a coach. this is what I do. I want you to ask yourself, what do you need to do to move from version one, dying tomorrow, to version two, dying at 90? What resources are available to you in making that journey? And how will you hold yourself accountable? Because oftentimes we become inspired. I know it's it's kind of like going to the gym, working out, right? We get motivated. I'm going to get in shape. I I don't know about you, but for me, I go to the gym And I, you know, I lift as much weight as I can and I run as far and as fast as I can and I'm totally sore and then I don't show up the next day or the day after, right? That first day we had, we call that intensity. But what's really called for is consistency. So how will you hold yourself accountable to your plan? That plan to move you from where you are today to where you want to be at the end of your life and the impact and the legacy you leave as you write. Each page in the story of your life, from this, from this day to the next. And that reflection, you know, should really move you to thinking about what your higher purpose is, right? I, I like the idea of thinking of our unique, and each of us has a unique higher purpose, as considering it to be that sweet spot, that place where your greatest values motivations, and strengths meet the greatest needs that surround you. That, I believe, is our unique purpose, our unique calling, to bloom right where we're planted. Again, where your greatest values, motivations, and strengths meet the greatest needs that surround you. So let's break that down. How can we identify our values? you know, there's one exercise that I use as a coach called the hero exercise. I want you to think of someone that inspires you. That could be a historical figure. It could be someone in your life. It could be a character from a movie. For me, for example, you know, one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. And I love the, uh, the character of Maximus Decimus Meridius. He's a, uh, a Roman general, uh, commander of the, uh, the, uh, the Felix legions. And, um, There's this one part in the movie which kind of captures his character uh, throughout the movie. It's a speech he gives right at the beginning of the movie. He's going to lead a cavalry charge, and um, he inspires the troops with those you know those speeches we always see in these war movies. And he says "Fratres," which is Latin for brothers. Says three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my fields. Imagine where you will be, and it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. And if you find yourself riding in green fields with the sun in your face, do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium and you are already dead. Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. So if we break down that speech, first off, brothers, this sense of family, fraternity, solidarity, right? I mean... Three weeks from now, I'll be harvesting my fields. That's a, that's that longing for home. And if you watch the movie, you know that that's his big, he's offered to be the protector of Rome by Marcus Aurelius, the Caesar. And, uh, and all he wants to do is just go home to his family. So family is a, is, is his value and it's my value. Faith, when he talks about what we do in life, echoes in eternity, or when he talks about when you are an Elysium, right? There's there's another reality. There's a supernatural reality. So faith, he has faith. It, it's a pagan faith, but he has faith. He also uh, has a sense of humor that he brings to dire situations, right? I mean, again, he says, you're in Elysium and you're already dead. He, he injects humor to try to motivate the troops and to lighten the mood. Um, that's another key thing. He leads from the front, right? When he says, hold the line, stay with me, uh, shared sacrifice that I think is implied in that line. So that, so this is just an example that I lay out for you. He's a hero of mine, despite being a fictional character, but he, he encapsulates some of the values that I strive for, the things that I find valuable, okay? And how can we, so that's values, greatest values. How do we identify our greatest motivations? And motivations? are these immutable aspects or features that get us up get us out of bed in the morning and get us rolling they never change from the time we are kids all the way to when we die they are the things that fire us up that inspire us that fill us with deep satisfaction in my coaching practice i administer an online assessment that's called m code it's a, you know it's a validated instrument Um, that's used to identify someone's top five core motivations. It's based on a reflection exercise where, um, you know, you're asked to to bring to mind three achievement stories. Now, these are not achievement stories in the sense of um, things that the world looks at and says, oh, wow, that was a big achievement, you know, graduating magna cum laude from college or... Um, a promotion at work. No, no, no. These are stories. These are episodes in your life uh, from across your life. I mean, they can be from when you were a kid, a teenager to an adult. These are episodes in your life that you found deeply satisfying, deeply satisfying. And they may be things that someone looks at and doesn't recognize as a traditional achievement. But you, when you were immersed in these experiences you lost track of time and you were in a, this state of flow and you, you just found, you emerged from that experience with just this, this uh, deep joy, peace, and just satisfaction, sense of satisfaction and accomplishment, fulfillment. You felt fulfilled. So you can do this reflection without taking the MCODE online assessment. You know You can write down some summaries of three episodes from your life that you found deeply satisfying and then look across those three stories and find the recurring themes that you can pull out, that you can draw out from those stories, and you'll get a sense of what motivates you, what your core motivations are. Now, through your achievement stories, you may well find not only your motivations, but also your values values that maybe you uncovered that reinforce what you uncovered in the hero exercise that I shared with you earlier. And you'll also probably see strengths that are showing up that carried you through those experiences because it, we tend, our strengths tend to tie to uh, what our core motivations are. They you know Our core motivations cause us to practice them and exercise them a great deal. So another, and another consideration is, these are probably your strengths, are probably the things that people have complimented on, you on uh, throughout you know, most of your life. So look, look for your strengths in those achievement stories as well and consider how people have complimented you uh, throughout your life. And so, I mean, this part, part of the talk, I just, again, a few coaching questions. What are your greatest motivations? What are your greatest values? What are your greatest strengths? And what are your kids' greatest needs right now? And how can you leverage your motivations, your values, and your strengths to meet your kids' greatest needs right now? And by the way, I mean, what's implied in that is that their needs will change. They will change Sometimes from day to day, from week to week, from month to month, from year to year, from one season of life to another. You know, I moved from when my kids were at home, I moved from being their boss to when they, to, you know, a benign boss, a benign dictator, <laughs> to from when they moved outside of my home to being their consultant. All I could do at that point was give them recommendations. So again, What are your greatest motivations? What are your greatest values? What are your greatest strengths? And I mean, this isn't to just kind of do navel gazing and to admire. It's to leverage them. It's to purpose them. It's to respond to your higher calling as as father. What are your kids' greatest needs right now? One other aspect, I think, of being a, a certainly your father is this notion of building trust, right? I talked about higher purpose and building trust. Because leadership, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's at home, really is grounded in influence. It's grounded in influence. And so we have to to build trust. We have to make deposits in emotional bank accounts, in our kids' emotional bank accounts, because this is what we're talking about right now, being influential fathers. And what I mean is to picture a bank account, you know, you make regular deposits, and then sometimes you make withdrawals. And so what I'm suggesting to you is this, this this is a model that comes from Stephen Covey, is that you make regular deposits in that account. Because sometimes we make big withdrawals when we ask um, for, uh, for big things from our kids or challenge them or hold them accountable or perhaps stumble or fall short in a commitment we made. And um and we, you know, a withdrawal has then made from that, from that trust account. We've got to build up that trust account by on getting up on a daily basis and through small acts of love and caring and investment, we build up the balance in that trust account and keep it high because our influence will directly relate to uh to where we are in that trust account. Now, um, Brene Brown is a um, is someone that's been out here, she's a thought leader in the idea of being vulnerable and of trust. Um, she has an acronym called BRAVING. And that stands for, um, these are elements to build trust. And, and that stands for boundaries, reliability, accountability, the vault, which she is a word she substitutes for confidentiality. And then ING, integrity, non-judgment, and generosity. For our purposes today, I'd like to focus on just three of them. Reliability, accountability, and integrity, or what I, I'll, I think is better framed as sincerity. You know, reliability, that's put, making deposits in that emotional bank account for each of our kids. Um, you know, it's, it's honoring our commitments, it's keeping our promises. If we tell them that we're going to spend time with them, reading a book with them, or going out and playing with them, but then we don't do it, or we, something keeps us at the office, it may I mean, we may have been very sincere when we made that commitment, but if we do that again and again and again, we're becoming unreliable, we're making withdrawals from their their emotional bank accounts, from their trust accounts, and we're reducing our influence. We have to be really, really intentional um, and consistent uh, in honoring the commitments that we make uh, with with our kids. The other component here, accountability. Accountability is so important because one of the things that we do as parents is we model. We model behaviors. And so when we make mistakes because none of us are perfect, we got to own it. Got to own that mistake, say we're sorry, make amends, and move on. And when we do that, we model the behavior that we look for in our, in our children, right? About being accountable. And, and again, being, well, that's it. Uh, owning Owning our mistakes. That builds trust. That builds trust. If we don't do that, if we say we're sorry but we don't make amends, um, well, that's that's not the whole answer. Um, if we don't express sorrow for what we did, again, that's not that's not the whole answer. So, accountability, and then finally integrity, and the particular aspect of integrity that I I want to uh, I want to emphasize is sincerity. Sincerity. Be sincere with our kids. We have to say what we mean. We have to mean what we say and we have to walk our talk. That's modeling the way. That's modeling. That's putting our values. That's moving our values, moving from values into action. And so I want to end with coaching questions along this area of building trust. How consistent are you in keeping your commitments to your kids? What can you do better? to acknowledge your mistakes, apologize and make amends when you stumble. What can you do to better mean what you say, say what you mean and walk your talk? So there you have it. I don't pretend to be doing any of this perfectly. I'm a I'm a fellow striver, I'm a fellow pilgrim on that journey, on that quest to answer and be fully responsive to my higher purpose, to my calling. And we, we all of us, we have a unique one, a unique role um, and purpose in, within our families as servant leader fathers. So uh, to summarize, think about your higher purpose. Writing your eulogy is a good way to kind of think about that vision and how you can move from uh, infusing meaning into your regular and daily activities, so you're not just laying bricks. You're building a cathedral. That's one aspect. Break down your higher purpose. Think about your greatest values, motivations, and strengths, and how they can meet your kids' greatest needs. And then finally, build trust. Make deposits in each of your kids' trust accounts. And think particularly about how you can be and model reliability, accountability, and integrity or sincerity. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to The Dad Project. If this talk was valuable to you, please go to our website at dadproject.net and make a voluntary one-time or recurring donation to help support our operations. Any amount helps. Catch you next time at The Dad Project.